Well, and we're going to welcome our Ording Valley campus uh, this morning because we have a special opportunity. Speaking of giving, many of you give monthly to Mission Forward, which is beyond our tithes. It's a way that we put all the money together to meet different needs of missionaries and strategic partners, both locally and globally. And one of our greatest strategic partners is Priority One. Priority One, uh, I like to say they help the under-resourced church globally train leaders to the building of Bible schools, and they're the, the leader of Priority One, the mastermind, the genius, you might say, behind Priority One, is a, is a family friend of this church family, and he's with us this morning. He's one of our favorite missionaries, and there might even be another favorite missionary here. Ooh, we'll, we'll see, but uh, we have a couple of favorites, and they might both be here, but okay. the first one I want to introduce to you is one of our favorites. He's Sam Johnson. Would you come, would you welcome him as he comes? to speak to us about a Priority One project. Thank you very much. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Great to be home. Thank you very much for your kindness. Thank you, Pastor, for your warm welcome. My wife, Joyce, greets all of you this morning. She's watching online. It's an amazing thing how that works. And she'll be at the airport tonight, believe it or not, about 1 o'clock in the morning when I arrive after leaving here today at 3 o'clock. She's been waiting at the end of every runway for the last 61 years. An amazing woman, wonderful, wonderful lover, great, just a great mother. And I'm so fortunate. And Joyce, we love you this morning. She brings greetings. My brother Dan wanted me to be sure and greet you. He had just turned 90 years of age, and he and I are going back to North Dakota in a month to preach to the old folks. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. It's crazy. Uh, they have a camp up there, a very successful camp for the senior citizens, and so they have chosen two very senior citizens to come and preach to them, and, and we'll, we'll do that. Dan... Uh, Dan can stand right here, and he can take 20 minutes and take you around the world without missing a beat. It takes me a couple of hours, so he, he's, he's very special, and he loves all of you and sends special greetings. Yesterday when I arrived, my dear friend Bill Roberts picked me up. He had to circle the airport several times to find me, but he finally found me. It's difficult at the, at the airport because everybody parks about three deep, four deep, but three, there's, it's, it's stupid. And, uh, <laughs> and he couldn't see me, he circled. But Bill and Leonard Roberts have become members of your church. I hope that all of you have had the privilege of meeting them. He pastored for, they pastored for 33 years, the finest church in Washington, D.C. Their church helped us through the years to give over a million dollars to help do what we've done now in 55 countries of the world. And so what a privilege it was for me to be picked up by my dear friend. He's the only man who's ever traveled with me around the world. We started on the East Coast, and we ended up on the West Coast. We went around the world together. I mean, you talk about he and I did it. And uh, six days later, we were home or so. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was really, it, was, it really was. And so we went and had lunch, and at lunch... I had the great privilege of seeing your former pastor, Calentina Rob, Calentina Carpenter. They were there having lunch at the luxurious um, 
Applebee's. And so, <laughs> so I've, I've almost had a full, uh, a full weekend already, but I went to lunch, supper last night with your pastor and his wife. And I've got to tell you, because I have the privilege of preaching across America nearly every Sunday someplace, your pastor and his wife had the finest and the most polite family that's in captivity today. These are great kids <laughs> sitting right here. And I predict, I predict that Sam is on his way to becoming an associate pastor of this great church. He'll walk up and introduce himself to you and welcome you. He's a great ambassador, and I love your pastor and his wife. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, my life has been governed all of these years by the principles of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow, my father taught me. Then he taught me that we also reap the same kind of what we sow. You can't put in corn and expect to get out wheat. You, got put in, you can't put in ugliness and expect to get out sweetness. You reap the same kind of what you sow. You reap in a different season than when we sow. I grew up in North, the western part of North Dakota, and I spent a couple of summers in the harvest with members of my father's church and... and uh, I was there in the spring when they planted and then the fall when the harvest came. So we reap in a different season. And thank God we reap more than we sow. Now, that's good if we've been reaping, if we've been sowing good seed. But it's not too good if we haven't been. We reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap the full harvest if we persevere. Persevere. I love the word perseverance. And you have to persevere. And we reap the full harvest. Some people quit, 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 quit. They quit too soon. So we reap the full harvest. Here's, here's, I love this. We can't do anything about last year's harvest, but we can about the year to come. Wow, that's good, Sam. And then, <laughs> and then I was driving down the road in North Dakota a couple of years ago, listening on the radio, and all of a sudden, a seed commercial company had a commercial. And this is what they said, and they repeated themselves, fortunately maybe for me, because I pulled over quickly, and I wanted to write this down. I didn't want to forget it. This is what they said. They said, the most significant day of the harvest, the most significant day of the harvest is the day that you choose the seed is the day that you choose the seed. 65 years ago, after I had graduated from high school, I had graduated in the top 10 of my class. There were 11 students. <laughs> True. I had loaded up my little car. I kissed mom and dad goodbye. And in my little car and a couple of suitcases, I had everything that I owned and I was headed to North Central Bible College to begin the call of God in my life to be a minister and to become a missionary. For the most significant day of the harvest, the most significant day of the harvest is the day that you choose the seed. I chose, and God has given to me great strength and great longevity and great... I just turned 83 years of age on Friday. Look at me, so young. It's unbelievable, huh? No, no, no. God has been so good to Joyce and me to give us great health. And it comes from my mother, of course, and my father. My mother, who was a member of your church for 59 years or so, 
less, give or take, a few. And she died when she was 102. So I tell everybody my mother was 102, and you know what that means? I'll be back. So <laughs> I, I, I have been blessed. I've been blessed all these years with great health, cancer scare one time, and a few other problems we all have. But God's been so good. And from home, I went to North Central Bible College. I graduated and served churches in Iowa and Kansas. And then in 1966, it was time. It was time. I knew it was time. God reaffirmed that. And Joyce and I began our missionary journey in Spain. We left in 1966, and we started for Spain, where we went, and we were privileged to help build the first Bible school that Spain has ever had. We had five graduates, five graduates today across Spain. There are hundreds and hundreds of places of Pentecostal worship because students have been trained ever since 1970 in that Bible school, serving across the country of Spain, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. From there, I received an invitation. Could you please come on over to Portugal? Now, Spain and Portugal make up the Iberian Peninsula, which comes off of France. France is up here, Spain's here, Portugal's over here. And they invited me to come on over and preach for them. And I loved that. I went and I found that the Lisbon Portugal Church, Lisbon Portugal Church, had 60 congregations and three full-time workers. It was unbelievable. They're going Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, preaching and preaching. And I said, this is not right. I was back in Spain praying, and one day God spoke to me and said, what they need in Portugal is a Bible training center to fill those empty pulpits. So I went back and I talked to the executives. I said, God inspired me. You need to build a Bible school. Oh, they said, that's a wonderful idea. Yes, and we want you to come and build it and direct it for us. Well, I had teachers of Bible school who would never agree with that concept, but I believe that God wanted us to do that. So after nearly five years in Spain, we kissed Spain goodbye, and what we were doing there, having started a correspondence school that enrolled nearly a quarter of a million students. We helped to found the Bible school, and in 1972, Joyce and I and three little kids landed here in Seattle, Washington. And you were so kind and so gracious to receive us. And we began to travel across America, sharing that we were going to go to Portugal and build a Bible school. God gave to me the central verse of my life, which is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. So we went to Portugal in 1974, and right after we arrived, the day after, in fact, I'm walking all over 30 acres on the edge of the city of Lisbon. 30 acres. It was a little farm. And they, it, was, it was, this was perfect. We could take the cow barn and make it into a, and the pig pens, we made them into professor's offices. It just had the makings of a great Bible school of a great Bible school. And we, of course, eventually we had to destroy most everything. It was, But we built, we built, we built, and we never stopped building for nine years. Last month, Joyce and I had the privilege of going back to Portugal. After all of these years, 48 years, going back to Portugal and preaching the graduation at the Bible school again. Today in Portugal, ladies and gentlemen, 
Today in Portugal, over a thousand students have been trained to go into the ministry. Our number one graduate is the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I preached in his church on Sunday. He has the largest church in the city of Lisbon and has 30 additional churches. And today in Portugal, the Assemblies of God is the number one Protestant denomination. It's possible, don't applaud, it's possible only, it's possible only because of trained leadership. It doesn't happen in the end of the way. This is the example that Jesus gave to us when he called 12 disciples. One of them never graduated, but the 11 that did from his three-year Bible school program, I think maybe the first of the Assemblies of God. When, G when, when they graduated, Jesus sent them to Jerusalem. They were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll come with me this morning, I'll take you around the world and I'll show you one billion people who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. How's that possible? Possible only because of trained leadership. It doesn't happen any other way. This is, this is, this is, this is not rocket science. It's just simply doing as Jesus did. And so that's what we, we got involved in in Spain and Portugal. And today God has helped us to go around the world in 55 countries and to help build Bible schools. And since I was here with you last year, I just want to give you a stockholder's report because you've helped me all of these years do significant things for the kingdom. And I want to share with you what's happened in the last 12 months. Is that okay with you? Hold your enthusiasm. Wonderful. <clears throat> There's a country in West Africa that we've been deeply involved in now in the last four or five years. It's called Burkina Faso. It's a country just north of Togo and Ghana, south of Mali, a, a country full of Muslims. And Burkina Faso is the country where our missionaries went a hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, and they founded the Assemblies of God. Today in Burkina Faso, the Assemblies of God is the number one Protestant nomination with 10,000 churches, two to three million believers, and eight Bible schools. I told you a couple of years ago when I was here that the Bible school's there. That's the only place I've ever been where the male student brings his wife and his kids to Bible school. And they give them a room, nine by 15. And there they sleep on the floor. They study on the floor. And I mean, it's just, it's just, and today there are 6,000 students, wives and children on eight campuses across Burkina Faso being trained. And this spring, in April, May, they had their graduations for all of their Bible schools and they had 611 graduates. Ladies and gentlemen, this doesn't happen any other way but through trained leadership. And that's what's happening in Burkina Faso. We've just had a wonderful time sharing with them. And we've done some things that are, that, are, that are significant. We've just built their first seminary so that these students who graduate with a two-year, three-year degree can go up to the fourth year, the fifth. You know, here's what's happened in the past, in the past. We had wonderful students across Africa and the continent who wanted to have a, a, advance their studies. So they have come to America to go one of our graduate schools and many times never go back. So we have helped to establish across Africa graduate schools and that's what we've done in Burkina Faso. And I think you'll see that the seminary that we're, we've built, that's it right there. And then right now we're finishing, we'll have it finished this fall, the dormitory for them. And uh, 
Don't you love that architect? I don't, I, I've never been in a dormitory quite like that. But we, that's what's happening in Burkina Faso. You've helped me also build dormitories and classrooms and libraries on the, one of the eight campuses of, 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 of and since, since I was here. About three years ago, from the north, now, the border, the border to, this is, this is Burkina Faso. The border is Mali. And all from Mali north is Muslim country. All those countries, northern part of Africa. And on a given Sunday, seven motorcyclists roared down out of Mali and parked themselves in front of an Assembly of God church. When they came out after having service, they asked, who's the pastor? They indicated who he was, took him out behind the church and killed him. Where's the next land? Took the next land, killed them. And they have killed hundreds and hundreds of people, leaders, and they have decimated scores, if not hundreds, of our Assemblies of God churches in the northern part of Burkina Faso. So what did they do? Because we had a Bible school right up there. So they had to close the Bible school, of course, it makes good sense, close the Bible school, but they moved down about an, an hour and a half down towards the center of the country and started all over. And we've just had the privilege of helping them build a brand new Bible school with the, the of course, these gorgeous dormitories, nine by 15. And, 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 and in fact, they started it out, they, start, they didn't know, they started it out with rooms nine by nine. And that's, and so we've, and they just had their first graduation, just had their first graduation. I think we've got a couple of pictures of the graduates. And this is in the bigger, this is the bigger school where they have 2,000 students on the campus, their wives and kids. And that's the wives. How about that? That's the wives of the students who've just graduated. And then in this brand new school that I'm talking about, they just, that's a dormitory, men's dormitory. There are some single men. There they are looking for wives right there. <laughs> but I want you to see the next picture or two. Uh, that's a library built. The next picture after that, there, there it is. That's the brand new school. And that's the first graduated class of 37 students in this brand new school. So what they're saying to the enemy, what they're saying to the Muslim world, what they're saying to those who would like to wipe them off the face of the earth, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Intimidated, not at all. Afraid, not at all. Cautious yet. But we're helping them to build a brand new school and we've done all of that since I was with you last year because you've helped me do that. That's in Burkina Faso. Now, I was in Vietnam several years ago helping to build a Bible school in the southern part of the country. And I went up to Hanoi where, where, where Senator McLean was downed, his jet was downed into the lake in Hanoi, Vietnam, the northern part of the country. And I, I was a tourist in a sense there because we didn't have a whole lot of activity going on. Met with the missionary, but I'm thrilled to show you, ladies and gentlemen, that since then, this missionary has helped to plant and start eight churches, 80 churches up in the mountains. And this is the Bible school that we just had a groundbreaking service for in Hanoi, Hanoi. 
in Hanoi. There it is, the groundbreaking, right in the center of Hanoi, just streets down from Hanoi Hilton, where Senator McLean was imprisoned for three years. And now the construction's going on, as I talked to you this morning, and we're building a five-story seminary, a Bible school, rather, in the heart of the city of Hanoi. To God be the glory. Can you say a praise God for that? That's what's happened since I was here last year. And then next month on the 8th of August, wow, I've been waiting for this to happen a long time. COVID, we wanted to go last, but COVID, but COVID is of the devil. It stopped us from going, but we said, no, 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 we're going. And next month, I'm taking 46 pastors, and we're going to Tanzania, and we're going to dedicate the seminary. That's in East Africa. The seminary been working on five stories, the most beautiful and efficient English-speaking seminary in the whole continent of Africa. And you helped to build that. Give yourself a hand this morning. You helped to build that in Burkina Faso. This is in Tanzania. Now, this is the place. i got to take a minute or two. This is the place. This is the place where I think it was about 10 years ago. I was minding my own business. I lived in Minneapolis at the time. Thank God I now live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, the weather is wonderful. Dollywood has her resort just about an hour from us. She calls me off, and she wants me to come over for coffee. But I don't have time. But... <laughs> We, we live in a great region of Tennessee, Knoxville, and, uh, and 10 years ago, I got a phone call from a man by the name of Barnabas. He said, my name is Barnabas. I had never met a Barnabas before. In fact, I don't think I ever met a Caleb until I met your pastor. Th these old guys, you know, you know and so, so I said, well, who are you? He said, I'm the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Tanzania. Oh, I said, that Barnabas. Oh, Wow. I'd heard of it, but I, so he said, I want to come and see. So he came and we sat down together and he said, this is what we're doing. We are right now, the Assemblies of God in Tanzania, we are planting 10,000 new churches in 10 years. I said, Dr. Barnabas, how are you going to do that? He said, no, no, no. It's how you and I are going to do that. <laughs> so I took the bait. I took the bait. I went and I've been going ever since. We have now helped them build 71 church planting schools. Let me see if I can show you this morning church planting schools across the country. There's, there are five metal buildings, and you see the one that's all finished, four metal buildings, and the one's finished. That's the classroom of the white building. This is what it will look like when they're all done. That's the classroom building. And this is what it will look like when they're all finished. Here's the beautiful part. We have just sent them $2 million to put up the steel structures, finish the one building, and then the national church comes along and they finish all of the rest of the buildings themselves. Can you say praise God for that? It's a partnership. 71 times across the country of Tanzania because they have gone from 10 districts to 71 districts. They've gone from a handful of believers. Today they have over 2 million. In just a short period of time, they planted the 10,000 churches they took a year off to pray and to ask God what he would have them do next. And now here's the latest. Today, they have embarked upon a new goal and strategy, and that is to plant 30,000 churches in 13 years. Wow. Unbelievable. And they're on target. They're on target because of the church planting schools. You can't have 10,000 churches without having 10,000 pastors. 
Hello? So you can't have 30,000 ch new churches without 30,000 new... How are you going to... You have church planting schools where people come and they, they're taught and trained how to reach the Muslims. 38% of the people in Tanzania are Muslims. How are you going to reach into the Muslim community? They teach them how. They train them how. They teach them the Word of God. It's, it's a very, very strict five-month curriculum. Then they go out and they plant a church. And they've been doing that now successfully for the last 12 years. They're well into their program of 30,000 new churches in 13 years. And their ultimate goal is that by the end of that time, they'll have 5 million members in their churches. It's possible only because of trained leadership. You probably heard me say that before, but it's... <laughs> One of the greatest missionaries of all times, your friend and mine, Hulda Buntain. She wrote to me 15 months ago, 96 years of age. Wow. It makes my 83 years of age like I'm just beginning. 96 years of age. She wrote and she said, Sam, are you still building Bible schools? What a foolish question. Hulda, you know better than that. I helped her build the most magnificent school in Calcutta. She said, could you please get in touch with Pastor Moses? He's up in the northern part, northeast part of India. He has 500 churches and no Bible school. Could you get in touch? So I wrote to Pastor Moses. I, Pastor Moses, Hulda told me to get in touch with you. And when Hulda says get in touch, you get in touch. So I said, I'm writing to you. I understand that you want to build up. Yes. So he sent me some pictures of what we could help them do. And in the midst of all of my correspondence, one year ago this month, Sister Hulda went on to her reward. She passed away. I came here last fall, and I told you about her dying wish, and that was to help build in northeast India a Bible school for the students, for the, for the, for the churches that had, no, that had no Bible school. And so this is, what, this, is, this is what they started. These are some of the brethren, and that's the first of four buildings that we've just built. That's the first building. Here's the second building that's being built. It'll be finished this fall. It's, it's, it's the library and the dining hall. And then this is what it'll look like when it's all finished. This is what you helped me to do. This is what you helped me to do. This is what you helped me to do right there. And then we'll build the men's dormitory and the women's dormitory. The next couple of pictures you'll see. And we are in the process right now of having all of that done by the time I come back next year. I just invited myself back. So, <laughs> so this is, this is because, because we're helping, ladies and gentlemen, we're helping to take the gospel to 600 and to 700 and 800 and 900. 500 cities, 500 places without. And so God has been so good to us and you have been so wonderful, so gracious and we've been able to help build these Bible schools because the most significant day of the harvest is the day that you choose the seed. You chose with me to help build in Vietnam. You chose with me to help build in Cambodia and Burkina Faso and Tanzania and around the world, now 55 countries. And I am so honored today to be your representative and to share with you. When I came to this church, when my brother was the pastor, I met an outstanding family, the Don Johnson family. Their son, 
Daryl Johnson, pastor for many, many years in Pasco, has become a dear friend. And then when I went to Brussels, Belgium a number of years ago, I met Glenn. I don't know that I'd ever met Glenn before he went. And the wonderful part of my story this morning is that Glenn Johnson is here with us this morning. Your missionary, and I want to have Glenn come on up here and to stand here beside me. <laughs> Forgive me, I didn't see you sitting there. No, you, no, you. Well, you were in the shadows. I'm trying to, trying to learn. Yeah, <laughs> I love you. How many years have you been in Brussels? We've been there uh, coming up in November. It'll be 23 years. 23 years, and you went to Continental Theological Seminary. Yes. What did you go there to do? Originally, um, we got an invitation to come and be the music director for the college, all the worship and music courses and lead all those things. And talk to us about the significance of Continental Theological Seminary on the continent of, 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 of Europe. Um, we draw in students from 30 different nations around Europe and, and beyond, actually. Sure. Um, but we're the, we're the primary, primary training center for the, whole content, for the whole continent, for all the Pentecostal training, Pentecostal leaders. Right. And we've had students from Brussels, uh, students from Lisbon, Portugal, yes. from Portugal and from Spain, go on up there to get their master's degree yes. and beyond. Yes. Because un during the time you've been there, the school has become fully recognized. Yes. Explain that to these people because I I I'm not an educator. I'm just, I just, I know a little bit about cement and bricks, but I'm not, I, so what does that mean? So uh, the school's 63 years old now. And uh, when they started, it was a Bible Institute. And as the years have gone by, the need has gone, as you said, for greater and greater levels of training. And uh, throughout the 80s and 90s, it was the American Bible School because they didn't have another model. At the end of the 90s, it became evident that the, the churches would like more European model. And so we shifted that in the late 90s and early 2000s to become a European structure. We, the bachelor's degree goes from four to three uh, years. Then the master's is added on one or two years after that. And so um, we don't, where we in America, we call it accreditation. And there are accreditation bodies that exist outside of, of things. Um, in Belgium, particularly, there's not a separate body. It's a government uh, uh, recognition is what they call it. And so we went through a recognition part for several years through the University of Wales, and then we transferred that recognition to the Belgian government, which, was, which is amazing because when we arrived in 2099 or 1999, um, Pentecostals were considered a cult. Um, you know, Belgium is primarily Catholic in name, and the Pentecostals were, were a sect. And if, if you use the word Pentecostal, it's those, those weird cult people over there. And over the years, over the first 10 years that we were there, that began to change. And the Pentecostals were recognized finally in about 2006 as a Protestant domination, as we would be here. And so that was a big shift. And then that opened the doors for us to pursue government recognition finally 10 years ago of our master's program. And it was the, 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 the effort to do this was led by 
a very significant man. Talk to me about your, your president. Yes, um, jo Dr. Joseph Dimitrov uh, arrived at the school in 1989 as a student. Back uh, up, back up. Before that, he was born and raised under communism. Yeah. His father was a pastor in the eastern part of, of Europe and, and Bulgaria when you couldn't do anything. You could, it was just, and in that environment, he found Jesus Christ. Uh, 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 and, and, and then, and he told me, he said, I couldn't go on and get no. a biblical education. No. So I went on, I got my, my, my master's in science, and I got another master's. Then he came to Continental. Yes. As a student. Yes, as a student. He, uh, you remember in 89, you, the, the, the wall, the, the wall, what wall is it? Thank you, that one. Um, but uh, in 89, as all those countries are falling and, and the communism is up, he got a chance to get out. And he told me many of his friends got, took that moment as well. Because you didn't know it, as quickly as it opened, it might close. Right. And he had an invitation, an opportunity, and uh, he came to Brussels and f finished a degree, a Bible degree training there. And uh, then they invited him, even as a bachelor's student. They were short on a teacher for Greek, and he stepped in as a student to wow. teach the Greek courses. Wow. He's half Greek. He's from Bulgaria. Uh, father and mother is Greek. All these things, just God led him step by step by step. He eventually began, uh, became a full-time faculty member. He went on and pursued other degrees at the same time, started his family, um, did his master's degree, came on as the dean, uh, the, the academic dean, finished his PhD, and then was uh, asked to serve as the vice president for a couple of years, and then became the president in 2008, 14, 14 years ago. And one of the most impressive men I have ever met in my life. He has toured your district, this great state of Washington, and wherever he goes, he goes to a wide acclaim because of his ability to, he's brilliant, but to bring the brilliance down to the level where people like me can understand it. It's, he's an amazing yeah. man. He is a mix, uh, I've, I've never, never met, of, of a scholar and pastor, okay? He has the scholar's mind and can understand and figure out and do all of the scholarly things, but he can turn and speak to anyone and make it meaningful, okay? When I hear some scholars speak after a few minutes, my mind just goes, what? He has that ability to take the scholarly knowledge of the Word of God and, and, and put it into practical ministry, uh, practical ministry terms that is very, very unique, and it's reaping and reaping benefits in the lives of our students. Now, the reason why this is so significant this morning to have Glenn here with you is, and he's just home for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and uh, this is just providential, providential. You'd never look better, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little suntan and... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that I met with Dr. Dimitrov three years ago. We had a groundbreaking, you were there, at a groundbreaking service at the college to build a brand new facility that would become the Pentecostal Leadership Center for all of Europe. Speak to that. Yes. What has happened is um, all, the, all the nations of Europe, as, the Pentecost, as Pentecostalism grew, they would start their own Bible schools with differing levels of success. And as we, as we became accredited and offered a deeper and, and, and more uh, 
thorough training, they would leave their schools and say, hey, I want more. Where can I go? And we are the only Pentecostal place for study that they can move on. And so we began to attract not only people for their bachelor's program, but also graduate students and many others from all across Europe. And um, what, what is happening now Beyond that, some of those graduate, some of those Bible schools that they have attended now are, are closing because of low enrollment, because of financial problems, because of government things, a variety of different things. Many of the local Bible schools that they have attended um, are, are closing, and we are in, in the opposite, in the opposite uh, direction. We are in a position of growth right now. God is calling students, calling more and more students to our, to our campus, uh, both as a first school, but also as a second school, as you said, from coming from Portugal, coming from Spain, right, coming right. from all these different schools. And we're now beginning to, to plan, or we're not planning, we're building now, uh, for that growth so that if whatever happens in all these other local national Bible schools, we can be in a position to, to offer the training necessary, like you say, to train the leadership for tomorrow's church. And, and Glenn, what's so significant in all of this, and we see it more and more in our own country today, there was a survey just done recently of how many people in America no longer believe that there is a God. Over 65% of the Roman Catholics in Europe, of the Roman Catholics, do not believe that there is a God. Much of Europe has become agnostic. They, are, they, they, they don't believe that there is a God. So there's only one training center in the northern part of Europe for all of that area left in its Continental Theological Seminary. It's that bright, it's that bright light in the middle of a, dark, of a darkened continent. And we believe, we believe, I met with Dr. Dimitrov. We had the groundbreak. Do we have the picture of that, sweetheart? We have the groundbreak. Oh, it's a guy. <laughs> Sir? The groundbreaking service. The ground, back it up before that. There you go. That's what it's going to look like. But the groundbreaking, I don't, it's not important. There but there is. it is. There we go. And we had our general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of the United States there. We broke ground three years ago for this incredible Pentecostal leadership seminar. Then, then tell us, tell us what happened then. The opposition. Yeah, you. Uh, I've never built a building here, but when you finally get approval and zoning and it's done and you sign, it was my understanding. Then you start building. Um, what the pattern is in Belgium is every step along the way. People have a chance to to come against you and and uh, protest. Uh, protest. They have a chance to come against you and protest each step of the process, with as far as the neighbors go. So we had this groundbreaking that you just saw. The local mayor was there, making a comment because we were speaking at this at this ceremony. Oh yeah, in a few years we'd love to have this open and da da da. And she kind of smiled and snickered and she says, "My, you Americans are ambitious. I would like to see you do that." <laughs> because things often take longer in Belgium, and we had no idea what she was talking about, but now we know. As the process began, uh, the neighbors began to say, no, no, you can't do it, and they have a right, and, and everything takes 90 days so they can contribute, da, 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 all of these things. One of them took us to a regional district court protesting all of this because of the impact that they feel our, this, this building will have 
And uh, we won that battle. We thought, oh, this is great. We're done. We kept going. Another year later, another uh, neighbor, another neighbor from another direction. No, no, you can't do this, and I'm going to do it. And their attorneys filed this and filed this, and another 90 days goes by for comment, another 90 days for trial. We won that final last one. Three we, times. Three times. We're just about to build, even, even, six, even three months ago. And uh, we're learning all this from the contractor. Well, that's the way it is in Belgium. We're just about to build, and they said, no, you can't get the equipment onto your piece of property because the neighbor that owns the end of this driveway has prohibited you from using it because he's afraid of the equipment is going to damage their homes and da-da-da-da, all of these things. And they got together and found a way to, to, to come through our main access. But those decisions and those protests cost us about 80,000 euros, 80,000 dollars for this access to our own property to build a building that's already been accepted and proposed and zoned and approved. Right. And it's just step and after then, step. And then after all this opposition, then COVID. Yeah. COVID hit Europe and Belgium so hard, slammed the door shut, and nothing could be done in the midst of all this fighting and infighting until last week. Show what happened last week as last week they drilled the first the first pilings, and the building has begun, ladies and gentlemen, Amen. and we're building the Pentecostal, the Pentecostal Leadership Training Center there that will adjoin, it's on the property of the Continental Theological Seminary. And this is what it will look like when it's all finished. And we're so proud that you have been there and that God will give you another 35 years to be there. And, <laughs> oh, Lord. And... And, and, and help and help. You see, so, as he mentioned, so many of the Bible schools, just the, the three-year Bible schools across the continent have closed. There's no one else in Northern Europe but Continental Theological Seminary. That's why it's vital that we do this. And so we've embarked upon a plan to help to make it all possible. It's a huge two-year goal. We'll have the building all finished in two years and all financed. And God has provided for us already a $3.5 million miracle. Amen. Say praise the Lord for that. Amen. So we're on our way to having it all finished in two years. And today we're going to take another big step and help make it possible. Amen. Will you please convey to your people back there that this great church is going to get on board and help them in a significant way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't he the best? Look at him. And you have supported him for 23 years. We love you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. His mom will be here in the second service, and we'll have a chance. He lost his dad a couple of years ago. His father's looking down today. So very proud of his son and what you have done and what you're doing. Could we give God the glory this morning? As your pastor comes, as your pastor comes, I want to just pray a prayer for you that God will continue to help you in this time of high inflation and stupidity and bad governance that God will sustain you and God will strengthen you and that God will provide for you in miraculous ways. Let's pray. Thank you today, Lord Jesus, for the privilege that I've had to come and be with these magnificent people one more time. 
Thank you for all that they have done through the years around the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today you will help them under the leadership of your pastor to do something very significant. And that's to build the Pentecostal Leadership Center in Brussels. And to that, I pray that you'll sustain these people, strengthen these people, provide for these people, make a way where there seems to be no way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm happy to announce to you this morning that your pastor will join me the end of October, Continental Theological Seminary, and we're gonna have a missions convention for the students that are right there. Over 2,000 students have already graduated, gone across the continent and around the world in ministry. We're not finished yet. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah, can we give Sam a hand? So you hear all these great stories, and you're like, well, what's left for us to do? But what Sam didn't tell you is that the amount of money that they have already, that $3.5 million, is not enough money to finish that project in Belgium. Sam's on a journey to raise a couple more million dollars to help them and to continue to, to help a couple of other projects around the world. And when he told me about some of the projects they have, he said, hey, I, you know, this one in Belgium, it's a big one. I, I, you know, I know it's a big, a big bite to, to chew, and I don't know what you want to do here. And I said, I want, you know, I want to plant a seed. I want to plant a seed. And, and you know, we uh, helped commission the Colbys. I don't know if you remember Brent and Bria were here last year, and then they were down at the Ording campus because they're headed there this fall as missionaries to join Glenn on staff there. We've been supporting Glenn and Dana there for a couple of decades now. And here's the reality. What Sam is, is uh, not, not overselling to you is that Continental Theological Seminary is one of the last bastions of Christian doctrine and hope for Northern Europe. Europe is in a bad way, spiritually speaking. They are running leaders out of there. They are uh, pressing the church uh, in many ways politically and at times even violently. And there's not a lot of hope there other than trained leaders. And so we want to help Continental. We want to help Glenn and the Colbys. We want to help them train leaders. And the way that we can do that is plant a seed this morning. Here's what I absolutely know is that planting a seed in Continental Theological Seminary is a good seed. It's a good seed that's going to reap a harvest. And many of the churches that are in existence today in Europe and even many in Northern Africa are as a result of leaders that were trained at Continental Theological Seminary. They are full of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting to serve Jesus, but they do need training. And part of what we get to do is help them have a place to be trained, help a, that, that campus have the capacity to train those students. And so here's what I just want to ask you to do. We're going we're gonna, to um, sing through that song, Goodness of God, again. But what I don't want you to do, I, I don't want you to sing the song. I want you to meditate on what God's goodness to you has been. Because when I look at Europe, I look at, uh, I look at the direction our nation is going. Europe is in a dark place, spiritually speaking, and our nation is doing everything it can to, to go that direction. We need to learn from Continental as much as they need to benefit from our generosity. We need to learn how to reach a nation that is running away from God, not running towards God. And so I believe that the partnership between Sound Life Church and many other churches, it's going to take more than Sound Life Church to meet the need at Continental, but we're going to plant some seeds today that God is going to use. And so I want you to pray about what would God have you do. And I always say this to you, I will never ask you to do something spiritually or to give to something financially that I'm not asking my own family 
to do and to give to as well. And so Jeanette and I are, are giving to this project this morning. We're giving beyond our mission forward and our tithe dollars this month because we believe in what Sam's doing and what Glenn's doing and what Continental's doing. I absolutely believe in Dr. Dimitrov's leadership. He's the kind of leader the world needs in this day and age. I've heard him speak. I've heard him minister. And he's got a powerful vision for revival in a world that seems to be walking the wrong direction. And so I want to ask you to simply ask the Lord the question we always do. Lord, what would you have me do today? What would you have me do today? Sometimes our response to Jesus is simply behavior. It's obedience in the form of behavior. Sometimes that behavior is generosity, as Pastor Susie mentioned in our service and Kenny and Darren at Ording. And so as the worship teams lead us in these songs this morning in both campuses, and then Pastor Darren will come at Ording, and I'll come back here and lead you through a time of dedicating these seeds to the Lord because it's the Lord that waters the seed. It's the Lord that makes it grow. It's the Lord that pours out his spirit in the United States, in Europe, in every one of these leaders. We get to plant seeds to partner with him today. And so as we consider the work that's being done there, I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do today? And then let's trust him. Let's trust him. You know, I was talking with my kids about this because we had dinner with Sam last night, and I said, you know what, guys? Sam's a man who has spent his life and will continue for another 20, 30, 40 years, right, Sam? To spend his life for the gospel. There's no retiring from the kingdom of God. We always serve different seasons, different job titles, different whatever. We always serve at the pleasure of our king because he laid down his life for us. And so when we look at someone like Sam, I talked with my kids, I said, we want to be people who plant seeds in the right way. We want to be people who plant seeds in eternity. And I, it takes faith to respond to that. It takes faith to respond and believe that God could use a dollar better than we could use a dollar. Or $100, or $1,000, or $10,000, whatever he's given us, it takes faith to believe that. But you know what was crazy to me? Is one of my kids went home and emptied their wallet because they're like, I hate it when I cry. <laughs> Jeanette, help me. They went home and they said, I just, I, I don't have any, anything I really need. I know that Sam's gonna use this better than I can use this. Can we just have faith like a child today? Can we not think like financial advisors or think like people relying on American economics because we do not rely on American economics, much less American government or American whatever else. We rely on the kingdom of God and the king that has provided and saved all of us. And so as in both campuses, as we begin to worship Jesus, would we worship him with simply our obedience today? What would he have us do? We can all do something, but what would Jesus have you do, to partner with our brothers and sisters across Europe so that Glenn can go back and say, hey, there's people that believe that what we're doing here matters. There are people that believe that when you go back to your country as maybe the only pastor in your community, there's a church somewhere else that believes in what you're doing. And we get to do that in a tangible way today. So would you grab a giving envelope from the chair in front of you? If you're going to write a check today, write it to Sound Life Church, and we'll send all of it at once. But mark the envelope, Priority One, or Missionary, or Sam Johnson, or something that says is going to Priority One. If you want to go to soundlifechurch.org slash give and give online, you can do that. You can text give if you want to. 
at the, at the number right there and notate that for Sam Johnson, missionary, priority one. We, we'll, we'll fill in the blanks, but write it out to Sound Life Church, and we'll do that. So as we worship, let's not just worship with our words. Let's worship with our obedience, and then we'll see what God does with the seeds that we plant. Let's worship together.